Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm so glad we, we had this chance to talk today on our podcast. Yes, a long time in, in uh, the making. Oh, you're not kidding. And <laughs> it's, it, it couldn't land on a better time. Right. And why is that? Well, as uh, most of us know, the, the United States and the globe is going through a resurgence of COVID. And in New York City alone, we've had some mandates given by our governor, Governor Cuomo, that said that restaurants and bars um, have a hard stop at 10 p.m., which I'm sure restaurateurs are not happy about. But I'm also seeing the fear coming back. People are giving themselves their own uh, curfews. They want to be in their homes all day long. And I think the anxiety is coming back. And I can remember March and April, what that was like. You can too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was it like for you? I left the city pretty quickly. Uh, I left with my boyfriend and my daughter, Kate, and the dogs, because we just felt it would be better to be in the country and separate ourselves from some of the insanity. And it was, it was really nice to be out of the city. But um, we all, all, I think at that time, especially in March, we were all glued to the television and just watching the numbers climb in Italy and, and climb in Europe. And it was really frightening. And then they said, well, we're two weeks behind them. Do you remember hearing that? We're two weeks behind Italy, it's coming here. Right, but when we were two weeks behind them, we were still almost carrying on like normal, I feel like. We were. I mean, because by the time it was really identified and the city shut down, it, it felt to me, and I, you know, I mean, it's just in recollection, and it's obviously trauma, and memory is not always clear, but um, it felt like as soon as we figured out that it was in New York, it was unmanageable. Oh, yeah. In yeah. New York. And you were um, working, go but, ahead. No, you were, No, but I remember you were working in your office up until the last moment you could, right? It's, yeah. Yep. And when did yeah. you stop coming into the city? When they shut it down, basically. Wow. Uh, I didn't, I mean, I was following COVID abroad. Um, I figured it was not a good thing. I remember texting my husband, you know, maybe two months before the city shut down saying this isn't good, but there's this in some ways denial of like, I mean, it was so enormous as to how it might change our lives that I think I just sort of blotted out for a while, blotted it out. But I was thinking that, you know, when you left, it wasn't just to escape the craziness. It's partly the reason why we're interested in COVID and long haulers and the very uh, amazing connection yes. to your life, really. Um, so tell us a little bit about Katie. Well, my daughter Katie has been chronically ill for almost a decade, but I'd say the last eight years were the most significant. So one of the 
primary reasons we had to leave the city was because if she was to get COVID, she would most likely die. That's what we were told by her specialists. And we never would have imagined that the diseases she's been diagnosed with, which many people don't quite understand, they've never heard of it, it's too complicated to wrap your brain around, now all of a sudden it's becoming mainstream because of COVID and because of what happens to people that survive and are cured from COVID or, or whatever. I don't know if we want to call it cured because the long haulers are experiencing many of the symptoms and diseases that my daughter has been dealing with for years. Um, I'll, I'll say this as succinctly as I can. She um, was diagnosed with C. diff while she was in college because of um, antibiotics, taking too many antibiotics. And uh, many of you might know what it is. It's Colostridium difficile, and it's a bacterial disease, and it's a colitis, which affects your small intestines and your gastric tract. And she was sick with it for eight months. Her body was so resistant to the bacteria. And um, after two bouts in the ICU, the doctors recommended that she have something called a fecal transplant, and it did save her life, thank thankfully. However, she never recovered. And after going to Mayo Clinic for three weeks, we discovered she had something called POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia. And that's under the umbrella of dysautonomia, which we're hearing a lot about in the news now and um, doctors are astounded at how many people are dealing with autonomic conditions. So Katie was diagnosed with dysautonomia, POTS. She was diagnosed with colonic inertia, which nobody wants. It means your colon is basically shut down. Her rectum began to shut down as well. Um, neurologically, she was dealing with a lot. And she also had some other conditions like mast cell activation disorder, which is all about your histamines. Which is, by the way, I think fairly common with long haulers. Oh, my God. Yes, I read that. I did. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is these people that <clears throat> were diagnosed with COVID and went the long stretch and came out of it alive, the symptoms that they were left with were so new to some of these people. For instance, and, and Katie experiences this also, difficulty walking. The gait of your walking has changed. The strength in your muscles has changed. Muscle wasting, brain fog, real inability to focus even on a TV show. And people that are talking about this said, I've never had issues like this. However, then you have other people, and, and Katie and I talk about this a lot. Nina, you brought it up today. People that have had viral conditions in their past, whether it's Lyme disease, whether it's chronic fatigue syndrome, after COVID, they got reactivated and sometimes worse. And sometimes um, the symptoms are actually more debilitating. Because when we have markers or antibodies for things in our body, it seems as though a virus like this not only reactivates it, but it can lengthen the course of both. So you have these still these strange symptoms of COVID, but you have the symptoms of underlying conditions that you've dealt with for a uh, portion mm -hmm. of your life. So mm -hmm. that's it, Katie. Um, it looks, Katie said she's never read more about dysautonomia or the autonomic 
nervous system since she was first diagnosed eight year, or five years ago with that. And I think we're learning that the, this may actually expose something that's very important, especially an understanding of the vagus nerve and how significant it is to the health of our body. Right. So before, I mean, I'm pretty, uh, I consider myself fairly educated and I'm a psychologist and, um, but before Katie was diagnosed with POTS and dysautonomia, I didn't have any real understanding of what Mm -hmm. it was. Um, as you described it to me, you know, as the, the, uh, diagnosis was unfolding and you were getting more and more information and you were describing it to me, it was, I mind blowing. Like how how could this be that all of a sudden your autonomic nervous system doesn't know how to function? It doesn't. It it's hard to wrap your head around that. Um, and yet, and 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 also I knew no one else with it. You know. So, um, but now that we, you know, have acquaintances, friends who've had. Um, COVID and are experiencing some of these symptoms, um, it, I don't know. Yes, it's becoming almost yeah. mainstream in our world, I guess I would say. Um, so, and and so obviously we're not MDs, but how do you understand dysautonomia and um, vagus nerve issues? Because I would say that I always sit, tell people that even though you're not an MD, it's like you probably know more than most MDs about this, having gone to Mayo Clinic and every doctor in New York and I think Georgia. I mean, I don't even know where else you were, but we have been to Cleveland Clinic. We've gone to the University of Augusta. We have been to um, uh, hospital in Chicago, Mayo Clinic, NYU Hospital. And now we are at, or Katie, I say we, because I'm her mom. We are at uh, Weill Cornell a lot, which is a New York Presbyterian hospital. And what I found over the past few years is that doctors, they discounted her dysautonomia. They said, oh, no, I don't think that's the driving force here. And Katie and I would say, well, we think it's one of the bigger driving forces in her illnesses. But it's because people don't understand. And even doctors that are specialists, affects your entire body. It, it affects your heart, affects your bladder, your intestines, your sweat glands, your pupils, your blood vessels. And it's the 10th cranial nerve that is so powerful and so important that the gurus of yoga talk about making sure your vagal tone is in shape, your breath work. They give you all these practices. It's been the vagus nerve has been a, a, a subject of interest for hundreds and hundreds of years. But now we have to refocus on it because so many of our illnesses and infections actually impact the, the autonomic nervous system. And now that we have more knowledge of this, there's a different way to deal with illness. And um, part of the management and treatment of this actually has a lot to do with what you're eating. Are you sleeping? Are you taking care of yourself? Is your environment healthy? Is your emotional environment healthy? And you think to yourself, okay, well, isn't that important for everything? Yes, but for, the, for dysautonomia, it's critical. 
And so if you are, let's say you're a COVID survivor and you're getting these long hauler symptoms, if you're thrown back into the stress of your daily life, um, your high stress hedge fund job, your marriage that is on shaky ground, your children that are dealing with learning disabilities, you're thrown into that, but you're dealing with long haulers, your symptoms have a really hard time going at bay. And you, and you understand that, right, Nina? Yeah. Yes. Um, but I guess I'm wondering as you're talking that, I mean, I know Katie and hopefully we'll have her on soon, but I know her well enough to know that she takes immaculate care yes. of herself as much as she can. I mean, part of the issue is sleep where it is harder to get good mm-hmm. sleep with these conditions. Um, so I guess I'm wondering, you know, even though she takes such great care of herself, she still really struggles with these, with POTS. Um, how do you understand that? I think it's because what happens, it's a snowball effect because as we are dealing with syndromes, because they call POTS a syndrome, your body actually starts to decline instead of get better. And I didn't believe the doctors at Mayo when they said Katie is going to have um, periods of this illness where she's really decompensating. And in the back of my mind, like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We're going to get her back on track. I'm going to have homeopath. You, yeah. and I, you and I are a perpetual yes. optimist. And <laughs> thankfully, we are. I don't know what it would have been like if she was with a catastrophic, uh, catastrophic thinking mother. It, it might have been a different road for her. A, a horror show. Yeah. yeah. Um, we actually had the opportunity to meet other young people that were diagnosed with dysautonomia, Ehlers-Danlos, other autoimmune conditions that impact um, the, the, the autonomic nervous system. And what we found, Katie and I found, is that these patients had a very bleak future. They talked about their bleak future. And Katie said to me one day, we were at a conference, a dysautonomia conference. She said, mom, I don't want to be in the back of the room with IVs and in a wheelchair. And what uh, the population doesn't understand is that dysautonomia is akin to MS. It may be autonomic and not autoimmune, but it Mm -hmm. it can be a gradual um, degradation of your nervous system, unless you make sure that you're trying to support your body every way you can. And you said, well, look, Katie's still dealing with a lot of issues. It's really true, Nina, but we've done everything we can to keep the symptoms at bay. And I think long haulers, what you have to understand is you're gonna wake up when, I don't know, did, should we talk a little bit about what the long haulers are dealing with symptomatically, people that don't know? Yeah, I mean, first, I think just to, I mean, I don't, listen, like anybody could correct me, but I think just to say the long haulers are, I think it's, if people have symptoms more than six weeks out of being diagnosed with COVID, they're considered a long hauler. Yes. Um, And then you were saying, what are their symptoms? Was that the? Yeah. I mean, it's different for everybody, right? Right. Right. Um, but, you know, I guess brain fog, uh-huh. a lack of energy, 
um, a lot of digestive digestive issues, issues, nausea. Yeah, nausea. Some people talk about weight gain. Some people talk about weight mm-hmm. loss. Um, what else? I think the tremors are scary. Like my my friend Jesse, who was diagnosed, who we'd love to get on the podcast. He was in the hospital for about two and a half weeks, and right before they put him on a ventilator, he just started breathing better, and he, he, his symptoms seemed to be declining a little bit. But he talks about the symptoms he's dealing with now, and it is the brain fog and difficulty walking and weakness. Um, some people even get this overactive um, uh, sense-driven issue. So uh, Katie gets this a lot because of... Uh, dysautonomia too much noise and light can be affect them so mm-hmm. much it feels like there's a light beam mm-hmm. in your eye and mm-hmm. anxiety people that never had anxiety before are dealing with it and o- overthinking issues and migraines is a huge one yeah so the lancet uh which is a psychiatric well it's a medical journal but it has a psychiatric arm um just came out, I think, two days ago with a study of psychiatric issues post-COVID, post-COVID clients, um, increased depression, increased anxiety, um, PTSD, and this was a really alarming one in people over 60, the possibility of early onset. Alzheimer's, dementia. dementia. Yeah, which it's only eight months into the... Um, pandemic so i mean it must have been diagnosed very quickly and um that's really concerning yeah i know and something that a a lot of people don't understand is whenever your body is going through a trauma like this and imagine being in a hospital for three weeks not breathing well and needing assistance your cortisol levels when you're, you is raise and you're exposed to high levels of this hormone for a long time and other conditions come because your cortisol levels have been heightened for let's say 2 3 4 months those of us that don't even have covid for these 8 months your cortisol levels even if you're not conscious to it are different than they were let's say back in december or january and yeah. something that my daughter is dealing with right now is um, she uh, is being worked up for Cushing's syndrome. And it's presented with uh, very interesting symptoms for Katie. Her hair was falling out. She was getting this strange bruising all over her legs, pain in her legs that's so severe. She just screams in pain, migraines edema, which is also another long hauler symptom, this swelling in the face, it's moon face that she has. And, or the ankles. Or the ankles, yeah. yes. And she also has um, muscle wasting, which she didn't have with the POTS and the colonic inertia. She used to still have great muscle tone, but now she can lift weights and walk for two hours and not gain any muscle. So it's, it's very frightening because she's so young. She's 28, and uh, there's a lot of um, ramifications of this. There's bone loss and the muscle wasting. Um, her skin has become really fragile. And anytime she was getting these strange infections on her fingers, and it took months to heal. They're finally going away. 
and we don't even know what those were from. So I, I long haulers get a lot of weird skin things. Too. They do. I didn't read about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and kids often it's diagnosed by I don't even remember what it's called, but something that looks like bruising on your mm-hmm. feet. Um. But yeah, I've also read about, you know, just different rashes and just different, very strange. I don't even know what they are, you know, but just weird skin things post post COVID. Is it a pigmentation Um, thing or is it a weird like those striations that come on your skin or. You know, I've been looking in Facebook groups at long roller groups and I I, it's almost like I've seen many different um. You, you know, I remember a long time ago, I had a really strange virus when I was pregnant and I don't even know what it was, but it was, you know, pre- very pre-COVID. And at the end of the virus, my skin turned bright red and I peeled like I had a sunburn. Mm-hmm. And it was so it was so strange that one of my clients literally quit therapy because she thought I was lying that I had been away and <laughs> had gotten a sunburn and it was peeling when really I had been sick. Um, oh my God. The have talked about things like that too, you know, just strange things, heat, heat on your skin, skin that's peeling, skin that looks almost sunburned. Um, and, and I, what I learned during that whole pregnancy time was that even though we have this conception of what we think a virus is and can do or whatever viruses can be very strange and can act in very weird ways in your body. And I think this thing about Katie is that, you know, as, as, as sort of doomsday as it sounds, she's lived with pots for 10 years. She has a lot of experience with it. It likely arose from either her bacterial infections or some sort of virus she was exposed to when she was immunocompromised. Um, And so even though the long haulers, you know, the idea of long haulers is new, it is in fact, I think, true that there are certain people who have lived with something approximating that for a very long time. Mm And we can probably learn a lot from them. Oh, I think so, too. And I think that this is going to open up people's minds and maybe there will be more research. I think uh, doctors will be looking at autonomic conditions in a very different way. What Mm -hmm. do you think? That is my hope. That is my hope that we will give voice and, you know, vision to these invisible, you know, illnesses, um, that exist out there, but, you know, unless you're looking for them, you know, it's, or you come across somebody that you know, that has one, you don't really hear about it. It's not like diabetes or something that is an everyday lexicon. Um, let me ask you because, uh, you know, it is so heavy. Yeah illness, chronic illness, um, you know, caring for chronic illness, um, having to, to, you know, restyle your life to allow time for sleep and nurturance of your health and all of that, um, which is, which is jarring and often hard to do. Um, 
Can you think of like any really small daily things that have been helpful Mm -hmm. that you've seen helpful for Katie or anybody else? Because I know you've met a lot of people with dysautonomia through the years. I think if I was going to focus on the time we're in now and how I, Mm -hmm. I can give some advice. If you, if you or a loved one has a chronic illness or is dealing with something like Katie, dysautonomia, it's really important right now. And though it's not always so much fun, you really have to limit your interactions <laughs> with other people right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Katie has been really diligent about that and taking other precautions. I think the protocols that we haven't had in place in uh, March and April they were very helpful, but we were in a state of hysteria almost. The country, I know New York mm-hmm. City was. Oh, well, we were traumatized. We were traumatized, yeah. and cortisol levels were crazy. It was like on crack. But I, yeah. I mean, I can feel my heart beating and get and feeling that feeling of anxiety right now just talking about it. I know. You know, that's, that's a sign of PTSD. Yeah. You know, that even revisiting yes. produces those same symptoms. Yeah. But go on. Uh, yeah. So I get what Katie has been doing lately, which I think is really smart. She FaceTimes when she's feeling that she doesn't have a moon face. Cause she's a little bit self-conscious of how she's looked because of the whole Cushing's element. But what she tries to do, and I think is really smart is she has two amazing dogs and she'll go in her room and she'll light a candle and She'll listen to music or a calm app and just meditate and breathe. And the, the dogs love it because they lay on the bed with her. And mm-hmm. she can feel her nervous system just coming down. Her blood. She has very low blood pressure, like ridiculously low, but she feels a sense of calm. And what she's also been doing a lot more is writing and decorating her apartment purpose is so important even when you're feeling weak and your brain fog having a sense of i'm gonna make banana bread today that means things like that make her very happy watching funny movies is a highlight she tries to watch one every night with her husband and get on the phone with people that support you and make you laugh because we tend chronic the chronically ill population tends to isolate. And Nina, I'm sure you see that with your patients. When we feel less than or compromised and don't feel a sense of ourselves, it's easier to just retreat. Mm -hmm. And in essence, that actually is the antithesis of what your body needs. Your body needs to be loved and you need to have people around you that support you, whether it's FaceTime or, or your dogs or your husband. It, this is the most important time for everyone to have some level of support and care around them. And that's why our elderly population is in really in a tough space right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, is that, you know, what I've noticed with um, my clients and with Katie is that all those things when you can and when you can't, when you're too fatigued or you feel, you know, too, too physically down mm-hmm. um, to, to be able to retreat and to not feel guilt about it because it, 
it is actually what your body needs sometimes, yeah. which is, you know, I think what you're saying, you know, when you were saying that sensitivity to sound, um, noise, smells, sometimes that becomes so overwhelming, just all the input, uh, that to be in quiet and to shut all that out is important. And, and I think sometimes people feel that that is purposeless, but actually that's purposeful because that is giving your body and mind a chance to reboot. Absolutely. And even we have a dear friend of ours, that's our massage therapist and he's very safe because he has as few clients in the city and Katie's had him come to the house once every two weeks. And I have to tell you, it does such a world of good to just have a beautiful, deep massage, light candles, have some Zen music playing in the house. And he leaves and she feels amazing. She'll go for the deepest sleep for an hour and it's really healing and regenerative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you can't have someone come into your house, have your husband massage you or have your kids massage your feet or whatever. But that self-care is so important. Right. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's medicine, right? Because I think even though there are some medicines, I'm sure, and, and, you know, I'm sure we'll, at some point we'll get into it. Um, we'd love to have doctors on and, um, and, you know, long haulers on and all different guests, but um, sometimes you know, medica- medications, Western medicines are not curative. That's right. Like that. That's the whole point, Nina. You just said it. I know everybody looks for a cure, but many times chronic illnesses don't have that straight line. And what we try to do along the way is how can we keep these symptoms at bay? How can we build our body, strengthen our minds? And I, I don't know if a lot of you are aware of this, but the support groups that are provided in the city for the long hauler groups have been so important for people because number one, they go to a place where <laughs> there's lots of resources. People are listening to them and understanding what they're going through. And even if it's unclear exactly how long these symptoms are going to last, you still have people acknowledging you and validating that this is your experience right now. Right. Because I think, you know, what has happened often with these long term chronic illnesses that are difficult to treat and are increasingly happening in young, young people. um, I think that often the doctors feel helpless. Um, Sometimes they feel helpless to help, you know, that they don't have a quick cure for it. Um, and people end up leaving the office feeling invalidated, invalidated or hopeless yes. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and to have other people that truly understand what you're going through is very important. Um, and we believe that, you know, the mind and body are connected yes. and that what you do and give to your body affects your mind and vice versa. What, how your mind feels, whether you feel like you belong or you under or understood or, you know, have support affects how well your body functions. And it's not that anxiety is, you know, leading the charge in your pots. Um, but if you have pots and you feel anxious, the anxiety might, uh, you know, make the symptoms worse or yeah. 
more more traumatic you know might feel worse psychologically um and it's all a feedback loop if you have a lot of cortisol in your system um it could be produced physiologically but then your mind picks it up as something to you know be anxious about and then there's a feedback loop yeah uh between body and mind so um we have to work on both sides we have to treat the body um with western medicine and eastern medicine medicine Mm -hmm. and treat the mind as well that's right because we can all say oh our medical system is flawed and uh, there's uh, not enough specialists and we can't afford this and that but the one thing is you have to be an advocate for yourself have an advocate also that's your partner someone that loves and cares for you and you do the research. So every time you walk into a situation with a doctor or a specialist, you have so much information in your hands and knowledge about your body and your symptoms because people think that the doctor is going to have all the answers and she may not. And that specialist is going to know all the answers and she may not. So it's, it, it's actually your responsibility, chronically ill, dealing with the aftermath of COVID, get out there, get a support team. What we're going to do at the end of this podcast, um, you can read it. We're going to have all the support groups we know about in, in New York, in New Jersey, anywhere in the country. And you do the, you do the research too. Make those calls and, and surround yourself with people that can advocate for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is a specialty unto itself, which I've feel like we could do an episode on you're so good at that and I am so terrible <laughs> at that I feel like. um so I think I could learn a lot and we could all learn a lot from you because honestly that is like your you know whether it was like you were born that way or you learned it through caring for your daughter but you are like a super advocate thank you um not just for her but for other people and you know I just wanted to add in and say that Having done support groups for medical professionals, too, through COVID, I have met some, like, really wonderful, caring, loving doctors, and these are the same people that you walk into their office and feel like don't get you, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I think it would be interesting to explore that disconnect, like, why does that occur in the medical setting, Um, so but that's, you know, for another day. Yes. But this was so wonderful. And Nina, I love doing this podcast with you. Yeah. We could talk forever about this. Yes. But we'll, (laughs) uh, we'll give you all information and we'll let you know what our next topic is and our next guest. Yeah. We've got some good ones lined up. Um, So for everybody out there, be well. Yes. Stay safe. Wear your mask.